0: thank you that you are indeed our hiding place. In this world, we go through so many difficult things, tribulations, trials, persecutions, the pain that we have to endure because we live in a world that is filled with pain. We live in a world that is affected by sin. It's a broken world filled with broken people. Lord, you have made us whole. We hide in you. We find our strength in you. In our weakness, we are strong because you are with us. And so, Lord, we just give you praise. We give you thanks. Thank you for meeting our every need. And God, we just pray that you continue to be with us today that you'd be honored during the rest of this worship service as you have been honored during our time of singing worship songs to you. So, Lord, thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good morning, guys. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say good morning and God bless you. (laughs) All right. Good to see you guys all here today. It's a blessing to be here with you. Amen. Amen. I would encourage you guys to uh, take advantage of the various uh, ministry opportunities, the things that are going on uh, that were announced uh, by Dan as he went through the announcement, the the bulletin announcements. I encourage you to do that. Uh, you know, this morning, I mean, even even as we close with that song, You Are My Hiding Place, I don't know about you guys, uh, for me personally, that is my absolute favorite worship song. Amen. Um, amen, you know, and uh, uh, I, I want to thank Richard and Susan for doing that, being sensitive to the Lord's leading and selecting that song, especially because... Um, You know, we all need him to hide in because of what this world brings to us, what this world brings against us. You know, and um, I've been contemplating this week uh, about uh, sharing an update on my wife with you guys and all, and I had determined, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And, And then this song, reminding me of who the Lord is for me, you know, and I know. I know that the Lord gave Richard and Susan that song for me. It wasn't for you guys. <laughs> it, was, it was for me. You no, know, for all of us, of course, but uh, especially for me. I, I did, I did want to give you an update on, on my honey. There have been some developments. Um, a week, it was uh, on the on the twentieth, so ten days ago, uh, we had a visit at the house from from the doctor. We we we've been on this. Uh, program with Kaiser called it's CPM chronic population management. They're going to manage the population. That doesn't sound good, does it? (laughs) What kind of medicine are you going to be giving my honey, you know? But uh, the idea is managing the hospital population so to care for her in the home so that she doesn't have to go into the hospital. That's the idea behind it. When that was explained to me, I go, okay. That makes sense. Okay. I accept that. And and that that is just the step that we've been in. Um, The doctor came to visit her on the 20th. We have a new doctor uh, who happens to be the chief uh, physician within the home care um, department at Kaiser, which includes the CPM, like I just explained, as well as hospice and palliative care. And she's the chief doctor there. She came to visit, and she'd been reading the charts. It's the first time we've seen her uh, talking to us for a while. We were sharing some things that we would like to see done, and and she agreed with those things and, and went a step further and, and shared that, uh, uh, that that we we need a new level of care for, for my honey. And uh, she's been placed on hospice care. She's been placed on hospice at this point. You know, and, and um, this past week, it's been kind of crazy with just getting involved in that, getting used to it, visits from doctors, and uh, actually just the doctors at the one time, but nurses and, and aides and stuff and helping her. And there's a lot, of, a lot of nice services that go along with that. And I'm glad to have access to that care. I, I, I really, really am. It's a blessing. But uh, hospice is a scary word. You know, um, but you know, it does. It does indeed include the, the the reality that the doctor gave a prognosis of six months to a year. That's what that means. It has to be that in order to qualify for hospice care. And she she told us that's our, that's my prognosis. And you know, in order to to, to go to hospice, we have to be to say that. And I'm comfortable with that. That's that's where that's where we are. You know, so we're just at that place now. We're at the place where we knew we were headed, you know, uh, with this disease that she has. And it's, it's difficult, but it's like we knew we were coming and we're coming to this place. And so here we are, and the Lord is still with us. He, he remains my hiding place and a hiding place for the rest of our family. I want to share this with you, our, our church family. You guys need to know because you've been praying so much. And I have to tell you that I appreciate so much your, your prayers and your support, support that you've been giving us as, as a family. And all. it's just a, just a difficult, difficult time. As so many of you are aware, having already gone through this kind of thing. I, I'm, I'm speaking to some of you who are widows and widowers. I understand that, and you can relate to me better than anyone. Uh, so I, I appreciate your prayers, but uh, we're in this place right now, you know. And uh, so I appreciate your continued prayers. And you know, all this is—I I, I, know—I know this to be true. This is—we're in a place of transition, and and my wife is transitioning from this world to the next, slowly. Yet, quickly, in terms of the the dementia thing, I mean, it's been just three years ago, we were seeing the first signs of it, not even knowing that's what it was at that time. And so, so here we are. But uh, I'm grateful for that, too. I really am. Uh, it was one of my prayers when we first uh, got to this place. And I think I've shared this with you before. When she was first diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's, which it turns out that's not what she has because it's just gone too quickly. But I prayed. I said, "Lord, if you if you don't heal her, would you get her to a place quickly where she's just simply not aware of what's going on? You know, and and she's not. She's not. You know, and I know that if she knew the level of care that she needed right now, if she understood that, she would be horrified. I'm glad she's spared from that. And." Um, You know it's a hard thing, but at the same time, I'm grateful that we're here because that that means that the time of her departure to be with the Lord is soon. You know that's where I want her to be. That's where she wants to be. So, you know, this past week I I, I didn't teach on Wednesday night because, well, we had this had been planned for a while. Our caregiver was going to be taking a week's vacation, so just so happened to fall and I think the Lord was gracious to us in this that I was home all week long uh and, and freed up to be with uh with with my honey as we're getting kind of adjusted to this new place where we're at with the hospice care and everything so that, that, that's been kind of a blessing but uh even yesterday uh, I had I was all set to come and and do the memorial service for for Mike and um uh, yesterday morning, we we just had some issues. Friday night, um, yesterday morning, and 6 a.m. I called Willie. I Bro, can you fill in for me? I just can't make it, and and uh, he's been great with that. You know, the ministry team here has been so supportive. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, but uh, I, I yeah, amen, amen, and and, uh, and you guys too. You know, I mean, just a blessing. And so you know, in in the next year. I don't know what this means in terms of my availability to be here. I'll be here when I can be, but I certainly take the freedom to not be if I can't. And by definition, I can't means my wife needs me. That's basically what it comes down to. You know. And, and as much as I love the ministry that God has given to me in terms of being able to teach and live on you guys and to lead you and so forth, you know, um, my wife is my first ministry. So um, it may be a little bit more often than it's been. So we'll, we'll see how that works. I don't know. I don't know where that's going to go. Some levels of care is easier uh, because of all the help that we have. So we're just kind of still kind of figuring it out. But we will And appreciate your continued prayers. I just, just wanted to share with you where we're at. You guys... Uh, need to know you deserve to know I want you to know we're we're family and so please continue praying and uh, and for me you know uh, so so often you know uh, I'm asked how I'm doing and it's like you know given everything I think I'm doing well I really am Um, because I have the Lord you know I believe what the Bible has to say about who he is And I believe what the Bible has to say about our future. And I know that even as, you know, it certainly appears that she's going to be going to heaven before me. And this is something I wanted anyway. I remember years ago, I shared with you ladies. I don't know if you guys remember this. It was at one of the ladies' events. I don't know what it was. And I was sharing for some reason with, with you ladies. And I shared with you, and I don't even know why I said it. It seemed appropriate at the time. But in terms of, this particular topic I know why I said what I said but I'm not sure why I said it at that particular point in time anyway uh the point is I I, I had shared with you ladies that uh, I have been praying that the Lord would take my my wife first before me and I don't know how many of you remember it and I remember that that when I said that you know there was kind of like a gasp in the room go (gasps) how could you pray that you know um like I wanted her to be gone. I wanted her to be free from her or something. I, no, 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 no. I said, no, ladies, no. The reason I've been praying that is because I've seen the pain involved in the loss of a spouse. And I don't want her to go through that pain. I'll go through it. And then all the ladies went, oh, <laughs> you know. But uh, the Lord's answering that prayer for which I'm grateful. I am. And so Thor is good. He is who he is. He remains on the throne. He's good. And he's gracious. He's kind. He's prepared uh, our, our eternity for us. We know where we're going to be. And this is exactly where my honey wants to be. And, and I pray that the Lord continues in his mercy to take her quickly, to be honest with you. I really do. As hard as it is, That's best for her. That's best for her. That's what I want for her. And the Lord's with me to deal with it. He's with us to deal with it. He's with uh, our our family to deal with it as well as the church family. And so this is all part of the plan, you know. But in 1 John chapter 3, we see that Jesus tells us, I'm, I'm sorry, that John writes that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He defeated death. And my wife is not really dying. She's just preparing to, preparing to move from inhabiting this physical body that's not working anymore into that place that the Lord Jesus is preparing for her. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And Lord, we pray that you continue to go before us in these things. I just thank you for this group of people, Lord, uh, this, this particular local fellowship, this church that you've given me the privilege to oversee, to teach, to be a part of, to, to lead, uh, Lord, uh, to love on. Lord, I, I just thank you for them and the support that they give to me, the, the love that they poured out upon me. Uh, as I'm going through this situation, your prayers for both me and, of course, for my my bride. I just pray that you continue to go before us. And Lord, continue to remind us the truth of who you are. That even as we go through these trials and tribulations, our faith remains strong. In our weakness, you give us strength. And so, Lord, might we walk in you and in that strength, in your love. And God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, let's get into the Word, shall we? Uh, Acts chapter 18 is where we find ourselves this morning. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to start by saying that took a little bit longer than I planned, what I just shared. So we're going to be here till like noon. If that's okay. Um, I'm just playing with you. Uh, I, I, we, we need to, to, to rush through this. We're going to be going through the first 11 verses. And when I say rush through this, we just need to do this quickly. I don't want to rush through the word of God. I certainly don't. But let me just say, we'll see where we wind up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see where we wind up. We're, we're gonna, let's read the first 11 verses of this chapter. Luke writes, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, who was emperor, uh, Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, right? But when they opposed him and blasphemed he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized now the lord spoke to paul in the night by a vision do not be afraid but speak and do not keep silent for i am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you for i have many people in this city and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of god among them and father as we go through this passage together Speak to our hearts, we pray. Be glorified and honored as we do so. Pour out your spirit on us that he may give us understanding. That, Lord, he will give us wisdom and discernment to apply these truths to our own lives. And, and, and not just simply the things that we do, yes, of course that, but also simply the way that we think according to the truth that is in your word as king of kings and lord of lords as the one and true living god we bow before you in Jesus name amen you guys may be seated so last week as we ended the 17th chapter we were talking about Paul's time in Athens and we we spoke about uh, that time frame between leaving Athens and arriving in Corinth and and the things that Paul was feeling while he was uh, uh, on his arrival there in Corinth, as he wrote in First Corinthians chapters one and two, and and all, we looked at those verses and and we talked about how it, it just appears that the Lord had taken the Apostle Paul to you know that uh, uh, great woodshed in the sky. Um, you know, he he did not talk about he talked about. Jesus and the resurrection. But he didn't talk about sin and repentance and the judgment that's to come. He did talk about judgment. But the way it's worded there in, in Acts 17, the judgment would, would come over how they needed to repent over their attitude toward Jesus, not about their own sinfulness, but their attitude toward Jesus. And, and, and so we concluded that. Um, he winds up, in Corinth by himself, and we, and we talked also about uh, the, the various, uh, the move, moving about of uh, Silas and Timothy as, as Paul was sending them back to Macedonia, and, and then to come back to Athens, and then he left for Corinth before they got back to Athens, and then we see in this passage that he does arrive there, he's encouraged and compelled to speak the, the, the word of God, right, to, to, to teach that Jesus, of course, is the Messiah, the Christ, a little word about Corinth, the city itself. Um, Corinth has the reputation, had the reputation then, and as we understand it today, whenever we see anything mentioned about the, the, the city of Corinth, it's, it's a city that does not have a good reputation. Uh, it was a commercial center, had two harbors. Of course, the city of Athens is to, to the north not too far away. They're kind of like rival cities, if you will. I, I mean, it's like, let's say, uh, central L.A. and Westwood, USC and U- UCLA, rivals, right? Kind of like that. Anyway, um, Athens to the north a short way. Um, but Corinth had this reputation for loose living, especially sexual immorality in particular. In classical Greek, uh, the the term to act like a Corinthian was to describe a person who lived in fornication. That was his practice. And a Corinthian companion was a prostitute. That's that's what the city was known for. It was permitted in the city uh, under the extremely prevalent worship of the goddess Aphrodite, uh, who's the goddess of fertility and sexuality. And, and so temple prostitutes would go out and, and prostitute themselves, and the funds that were collected would go to the upkeep of the temple. Uh, that's, that's the way that they did things there uh, at that particular point in time. So it, it was a, a, a city known for its uh, a, a sexual looseness, its sexual... Immorality. In 146 BC, Corinth rebelled against Rome, was destroyed by the Roman armies, and then it was rebuilt several years later and, and became basically the same as it was, simply because it was in the location that it was. It, it was a, a great location for, uh, for transportation and for shipping and things of that nature. And, and so. Uh, It just reestablished itself in the way that that was described. So it's kind of like a um, Las Vegas, San Francisco, uh, Amsterdam, Bangkok, all rolled into one. Uh, That that kind of reputation. G. Campbell Morgan wrote this. He said, it is significant that it was from this city that Paul wrote his Roman letter. And when one reads his description of Gentile corruption, in that Roman letter, particularly in the first chapter there, one has almost certainly a mirror of what he found in Corinth. That, that, that does simp- certainly make sense. He wrote, uh, of course, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, he would write this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's a good question for us to ask ourselves and to ask others. And then he says, do not be deceived. There's a lot of deception out there. There are a lot of people who, think, who are thinking that unrighteousness, according to the way the Bible describes unrighteousness, that unrighteousness is not an issue that's going to keep anybody out of heaven. That's why we need the grace of God, isn't it? Then he writes, neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor sodomites nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. What this means is anyone who is living according to these descriptions will not inherit the kingdom of God, meaning they've not repented of their sins. They may, they may say they're Christians, but if they've not repented from these particular sins, along with others... Um, Cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. It's a powerful word from the pen of the Apostle Paul. And then in verse 11. And such were some of you. Emphasis on were. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. I love that passage. You know, we're not defined by what we were. We're defined by Jesus, right? We're defined by him, you know, and he gives us his Holy Spirit who enables us, who empowers us to change. He gives us the ability to change. And as we love him and, and, you know, we, we change not so that we can be saved, but we change because we are. We change because we've developed a love for God. We want to please him. We want to honor him. And he gives us the, the enablement to do that by his spirit. And a few verses later, in that same chapter, verses 15 to 20, he writes, Do you not know that you are bodies, or excuse me, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We don't have time to go through the, the glorious nature of that passage. But the bottom line is, don't you know that you were bought at a price, the price of Jesus Christ hanging on that cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. We were, and, and he bought us for himself. We are not our own. You nor I, any person who has acknowledged Christ as savior and belongs to him has no right to make any decision about anything that we might do, places that we might go, what we're going to do with our lives or in our lives without first consulting him who is our master. He bought us at a price. We're his. So any of us who say that we belong to him, we, we, we really should give close attention to that reality and that fact that we have no right because we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We are not our own. My life, your life, our lives as followers of Jesus are about him and what he wants for us. But it's not just simply he wants it, that he wants us to live pure lives. He wants us to glorify him. He wants us to be in place, in the place where he can best love us. And that is honoring him as God. And, of course, these are very appropriate words for our own culture, aren't they? We live in a culture that I think we can call it a sex-crazed culture. Not a whole lot different from Corinth, to be quite honest with you. And I think it can certainly be said that there are many babies sacrificed to the goddess Aphrodite in our culture in the form of abortion. Now, that doesn't apply to all abortions. There are various reasons for that, that that young women determine that that's the direction that they ought to go, step that they ought to take but certainly many are done as a sacrifice to that goddess for the pleasure of sexual fulfillment. Certainly that takes place. Well, Paul arrives in Corinth, and in chapter 18, verse 1, we see that as he departs Athens, he arrives in Corinth. He finds a couple of people there, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, two uh, people, that, they're described there. They, they, they left uh, Rome. They had just arrived in Corinth. They left because uh, Emperor Claudius had issued an edict that all the Jews needed to leave because there was trouble there among the Jews in the city of Rome and, and Claudius just said, you know, get out of here. You're not welcome here anymore. So they had to leave. And we, we know historically that that took place in 49 AD. So we can place... When these things took place, right around, you know, from that time, maybe 50 to 52 AD, these things are taking place there in Corinth that we're reading about here in the book of Acts. F.F. Bruce writes this, It seems that the expulsion had to do with dissension and disorder within the Jewish community of Rome, resulting from the introduction of Christianity into one or more of the synagogues of the city. You know, certainly, if the same kind of things are going on in those synagogues as the synagogues that Paul already had been visiting and bringing the gospel there brought issues, brought problems. But it does certainly remind us that you know, the Lord Jesus said, you know, if the world hates you, know this, that it hated me first. And, and the world means all who are apart from his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of God. Not talking about religion so-called religion you know there are going to be there there are plenty of people who are attending churches who are really a part of the kingdom of this world first and foremost those who are saved are of the kingdom of god and our home is in heaven isn't it you know and just yesterday there was a celebration of of mike Abercue going home to be with the lord you know and as i'm talking about my honey soon within the next year if this doctor is correct she may not be. She may be. Could be sooner than that. Could be after. We don't, we don't know. God knows. But when that happens for her, when it happens for any of us who are following the Lord, and obviously some are going to get there before others. They're looking at the round, uh, looking around the room. I can kind of identify those who might go first. <laughs> we'll just kind of we'll just leave it there. <laughs> but the point is. That's where we're going. Eternity with Him. But we see here that as Paul met this couple. In verse three, we see that they were tent makers, and uh, literally the idea is they were they were leather workers, uh, but certainly tents was something that they, that they made. And we and we find that the Apostle Paul also. Was a tent maker, so he joined with them, and it seemed like they they worked they worked together for a while. You know, uh, Paul would support himself through the tent making and so forth. Uh, we, we do know that it was within the Jewish culture that rabbis would not receive compensation for their ministry, but they had to support themselves, and so Paul supported himself through tent making. Now, in Jesus' case, as a rabbi. He was supported by others around him we find in luke chapter 8 verse 1b the second part of verse 1 through the third verse it says this and the 12 were with him and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities mary called magdalene out of whom had come seven demons and joanna the wife of chusa uh, herod's steward and susanna and many others who provided for him From their substance, so these women in particular are the ones who supported Jesus and the disciples and the apostles who were with him. Verse four, we see that he reasoned in the synagogue, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and. Greeks. Uh, It was his habit, as we have seen, that every city he would come into, if there was a synagogue, he would go there first. He would go and preach the gospel to the Jews first, Um, convincing people. We see here the word persuading, uh, both Jews and Greeks, that Jesus is the Christ. That's, That's what he would do. The word reasoned is the Greek word dialegoma, diulegama. and that is the word the greek word from which we get the english word dialogue so it wasn't just preaching like like we're doing here this morning you know we we, we don't have this this dialogue that's going place but that that's what what's he what he was doing with them you know he would speak they would ask questions he would answer that kind of a thing you know the uh, best place for to get that in uh, in the church today is in women's groups, men's groups, and so forth, the studies that take place during the week, a lot of opportunity for that kind of discussion, and a lot of growth, of course, takes place there uh, because of it. In verse 5, we see that Silas and Timothy arrive from Macedonia, and we went through all that last week as I had shared with you uh, these things. I I do want to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 once again, as we did last week, but for a different reason, I want to see why it is, this kind of hit on that, why it is that Paul wanted to send Timothy in particular back to uh, Philippi. Uh, excuse me, back to Thessalonica, I should say. Back to Thessalonica. Uh, in verse 1 of chapter 3 in First Thessalonians, therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. So that's why he sent them, that no one, and this is the result, his intended result, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this, for in fact... We told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Do you notice in verse 1, he says, when we could no longer endure speaking about his ministry team. Then in verse 5, he says, when I could no longer endure it. And I think that's that's the real thing right there. It's not like you know Silas and Timothy and the others who were with them didn't care, but it was all it was all kind of spearheaded by the Apostle Paul, and it's his his care for the churches. In fact, he he he, he mentions uh, as he writes to um, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians or Second Corinthians 12 or 11, I should say, and he talks about all of uh, all of the uh, uh, persecutions that we that he went through, and he ends it. And he says, on top of all that, it's my care for the churches daily. His pastor's heart for the churches, for the people in the church. And this is expressed here for his heart, for the Thessalonians, who are going through problems. They, they're, they're going through tribulations. They, they're being persecuted for their, for their new faith in Jesus. And he was concerned about them. He's concerned about how they're doing. You know, uh, he, he knew that this was going to happen. He speaks of the reality that, that, that these afflictions are going to happen. And I just kind of wonder. I wonder if he had the words of Jesus in mind. When, when Jesus was speaking about, he gave the parable of the sower and the seeds. And in Matthew 13, 20 and 21, he said these words. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. This can happen with with baby Christians. You know, the persecution comes, the tribulation comes. Just just a part of living in this world Doesn't doesn't have to be persecution because of that faith, but simply existing within this world that is a difficult place because of the brokenness of it. As we, as we continue to talk about it, I think it's something that we have to continue to remember. And he was concerned about, this, about these things. Uh, and he wanted to know if their faith was still intact even as these afflictions and, and these troubles were, were coming to them. Um, and Paul reminded them that reminded the Thessalonians that we are appointed to affliction. And this is something that needs to come from every pulpit. There are some pulpits that don't talk about these kinds of things because they want to win numbers of people to themselves and to, this, to the church. And, and when the, the difficulties do come, because they will. It's impossible that people, whether inside or outside the church, it's impossible for people not to have to go through problems. It's the nature of the world that we live in. And the one who is the God of this age designs these things to destroy us. Jesus came to destroy his works. And so we see this spiritual warfare that's going on but guys we need to teach and preach and share and believe and understand the reality that the whole counsel of God includes the fact that we live in a hard world and Jesus came not to remove us from the hard world but to be with us through it to give us the strength that's why we need him as our hiding place, isn't it That's exactly why we need him for that. Well, Paul and and, and Silas, er, excuse me, um, Timothy and Silas uh, returned from Macedonia. And then in 1 Thessalonians, the same chapter, 3, verses 6 and 7, he writes, But now that Timothy has come back to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, As we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. He heard that they're doing well in their faith. And that's what's going to happen. People who are truly Christians are still going to do well in their faith, even though we're going through difficult times. And anytime we see anybody going through a a problem, a a difficulty, an affliction, a persecution, a trouble, some tribulation of some kind, suffering and pain, and still maintaining their walk with the Lord, it's only because of the grace of God that's with them, and it's proof that God is with them. You know, And and, and I I try to make it a habit when when people are asking me how I'm doing, I'll say, I think I'm doing well. The Lord's with me. The Lord is with me. And you guys can say the same thing in your difficulties. The Lord is with you. And the reason he is with us, uh, uh, well, uh, the reason is because he cares for us and and he he dwells within us for the purpose of us us having that communion with him. But because we have that communion with him, our, our response to the difficulty is going to show the depth of that communion. The reality of that communion. And he wants us to bring honor and glory to the Lord. That's what I want to do through it. I want to bring gl- God glory. Don't you guys? When you go through difficult times, just bring God the glory because he's the one that enables us to go through it. You know, I've often said that, that you know, I, I don't know how people get through difficult times, things that I'm experiencing now, things that some of you guys already have experienced and others will, and different experiences that you've gone through that are painful How do people go through these things without the Lord? And I've come to a conclusion with that. They don't. They don't. It becomes destructive in their lives. These kinds of things destroy families. They do. So thank God that he's with us. But he saw Paul got this word from Timothy that they're doing well these trials and he was just simply rejoicing because of that reality and it seemed that this encouragement emboldened him to be compelled by the spirit to devote himself uh, completely to the word of God as the NASB says but to, to preach the word of God testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ but the Jews opposed him verse 8 surprise surprise In every city, this is what they would do. Some of the Jews would believe, and those who didn't believe would oppose him. And we're we're told there, here in verse 8, excuse me a second here, in verse 6 it is, I'm sorry, that they opposed him and blasphemed him. He shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And, and the shaking of the garments basically is a sign of, of him him rejecting their rejecting of the word that, that, that he brought, but also that he's got nothing to do with them anymore, just shaking off the very dirt that was on his clothing. He's not going to take any part of them with him any longer. Your, your blood is on your own head. It's not on my head. It's on your head. I've done what God has called me to do to bring the gospel. It's your responsibility to respond to that. I'm going to leave it with you. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do his work. I'm going to someone else who's going to be more receptive. That's basically what he's doing here. Uh, In Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus spoke about this. He said, And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. And that's just s- symbolic of... I mean, in that time, it was, it was real dust because their travel was on dust roads and, and, and their cloaks and their shoes, they would get all filled with dust and they just clean themselves off and go to, to the next place. Uh, your blood be upon your own heads, he said. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, Son of man... I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that some wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. That's pretty heavy. Now, this is a word to a prophet. But that doesn't free us up from responsibility to share the good news that Jesus loves people, that he came as the Lamb of God to give himself for the sin of the world, that all might be Delivered from sin, giving his cloak of righteousness, that we can stand before God through eternity. And any and people that we don't warn and they die in their sin, there's a responsibility that we bear for not telling them. I'm not quite sure how the Lord's going to deal with that with us, but it's clear clear that that is the case so let's make sure we're sharing the truth with people you know god doesn't call people to himself and bring them into fellowship with the church just in order time just just for the fellowship or even for the strength that fellowship brings or even for the change of life that happens you know i guarantee you my life yeah, I've been with the Lord for nearly 50 years now. This, this coming July it will be 50 years that I gave my heart to the Lord. Uh, for 21 years before that, I hadn't. And, I, could, and, I, and I, I know the direction that my life was going. And if the Lord hadn't grabbed me for himself when he did, I would have caused all kinds of problems for myself, for my family. It would have been destructive. But the Lord saved me. I have a much better, uh, an incredibly better life. Because Jesus saved me from my sins. Incredibly better. That's just reality. Our our enemy, Satan himself, wants to paint the picture that, no, it's not better. You you, you have to stop doing this. You have to stop having fun. You have to stop partying. You have to stop drinking. You have to stop taking drugs. can't go to those places you used to go to. No, that's no fun. Those are all passing pleasures. And every night, every person, every one of us has to deal with the reality of who we are and what we do when we lay our head on that bed, on that pillow. Those those things are just simply reality. In Acts chapter 20, verse 26 and 27, we see the apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders as he's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He said, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. Innocent of the blood of man. I think it would be good for us to ask ourselves that very question. Am I innocent of the blood of those in my life who are not yet saved? Am I innocent because I have declared to them the truth of the gospel, the truth of sin, the truth of separation from God, the truth of eternal separation from God in a place that is called the lake of fire, and that Jesus is their only way of deliverance. Even as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is your only hope. He's your only way. You cannot clean up your life to go there. The previous sin that you've committed as well as the sin that you continue to commit, maybe not as much, but still there, has to be purchased, or has, has to be covered by the blood of Christ. That's our only well, verses 7 and 8 tell us that many people believed. He departed from there, and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Some of your translations, if you have an NASB, the ESV, the NIV, I think, to say Titius Justice. Uh, in, in the uh, New King James Version, it just says Justice. Uh, we don't really know who he is. We don't know much about him other than the fact that he is one who worshiped God. Then verse 8, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his ho- household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. And so we see that many came to faith in Jesus through the word of the Apostle Paul. Many Corinthians, as we see there in verse 8, two men named a particular justice who had a house next to the synagogue, and Justice welcomed the Apostle Paul. All we're told about Justice is that he was a worshiper of God. He would have been a Gentile worshiper of God, a God-fearer, as we see in some other places in the book of Acts. Lived next, to the, next door to the synagogue. So you see Paul setting up this house church right next to the synagogue the people coming to synagogue and seeing all the people in this church gathering together, hearing what the apostle had to say, if they had any interest at all in what he said, they could go there instead of going to the the, the synagogue if they chose to. And those who did give their hearts to Christ certainly went there. You know, so it's just kind of an interest. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine why there would be such an opposition against him? You know, Um, just setting up shop right next door. And the, the, the ruler of the synagogue. I mean, we see here, it's Crispus here. He's called the ruler of the synagogue. Uh, but, but by the way, in that we do not know much about justice at all, other than that, the fact that he worshiped God, this is the Holy Spirit's testimony of who justice was. A worshiper of God. How would you like to be known as that? Isn't that cool? I, I mean, you know, I mean, if that's all anybody knew about me, I would be happy with that. A worshiper of God. How about you guys? Crispus being the, the ruler of the synagogue means that he 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 had a lot of responsibilities. He probably was, you know, among the upper class within the city, having this particular position, uh, at, at least the upper class among the Jewish people for sure. I mean, his duty was to preside over all of the assemblies in the synagogue, uh, uh, weddings and and divorces. I mean, marriages and divorces he would oversee. Uh, He would excommunicate people from the synagogue for their behavior if necessary, that kind of thing. That's what he did. Um, But we do see later, I mean, next week we're going to see in verse 17 that there's somebody else by the name of Sosthenes who is there called the ruler of the synagogue. Crispus lost his job because he came to Jesus. You know, there's a price to be paid culturally for following Jesus. You know, I mean, there are just changes that take place. Pastor Chuck Smith said this. He he wrote this. He wrote that conversion to Jesus Christ will often cost you something. But whatever you lose is more than what excuse me, is more made up, excuse me, let me start that again, but whatever you lose is more than made up for by the great gains given to you. I'm always a little suspicious of the person who, while sharing their testimony, revels in the details of who and what they were and all the things they gave up when they accepted Jesus, as though the sacrifice was all on their part. I could have had fame, I could have made it big in Hollywood, but I gave it all up to follow Christ, Really? How can you emphasize what you gave up over what you gained? I love that. I love that. As I stated before, my life is so much better because I came to Jesus. and because of him and his grace. Because of him and his grace. You know, and I could have had a a lot of temporal, temporary uh, um, satisfaction. But... You know the joys and the satisfaction, the happiness that I now have is long-lasting. It's eternal. You know, I. You know the good old days, no. No, the good nowadays, and there's better days ahead. Better days ahead. Oh, God help us remember that. And Paul the apostle wrote to the Philippians these words in chapter three, verses seven to nine very familiar to us you guys recognize this but what things were gained to me these i have counted loss for christ now these things which were gained to me referencing what he was and the position that he had all these things before he came to jesus right yet indeed i also count all these things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of christ jesus my lord For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Losing all those things is very small compared to the gain of having the righteousness of Christ as hard as we try to be righteous. Paul was a a, a Pharisee. He had that that self-righteousness that a Pharisee would have. You know, thinking that he was all that. He found that he was not. And that what he gained in Christ was so much more than what he had. And of course, this is something that all of us find I, I, I love this passage as well, describing what we've gained in him, counting our past, all, our, 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 all of our successes, our trophies, anything that we've done, it's meaningless in comparison to the crown of life that we receive from Jesus himself. Let's always remember that. Well, Paul is encouraged, we see here in all of this, by the Lord Jesus in verse 9. Now he was encouraged by the word that came back from Timothy about how the Thessalonians were doing, right? But now verse 9 and 10. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. What an encouraging word from Jesus. But the Lord appeared to him in the night, in a vision, stood before him and told him this, in much the same way that he appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Now, I've never experienced that. The Lord actually appearing to me in a vision, whether it's a dream or whatever. Never. Never but he has appeared to me through his word many times. He has shown himself to me in his word many, many times. This is how we see, by reading the word of God, contemplating upon it, thinking upon it, meditating upon it, receiving it, believing it, this is how we see the Lord. But there's another way that we see the Lord. Jesus said that In in John chapter 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The same goes with the church. If the world sees the church, they see Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul would write to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. And so we have the privilege of showing the world showing people who do not yet believe the reality of who Jesus is simply by the way we live our lives. Because we're different. Because we go through the trials, the storms of life, and the storm which destroys many people doesn't destroy us. And when people see that, they wonder, what's up with you? Why are you different? And then we're given an opportunity as we are in that life being different, living a holy, set-apart life in that way, then we're able to give a defense for the hope that lies within us. What's that hope? His name is Jesus. He's our hope. He's our blessed hope we cling to him and we're able to share pe- with people that reality. Last week we sh- shared about this one thing that had Paul fearing and trembling and so forth. You know, uh, his failure to bring the gospel in the sense of you know sin and death, responsibility for sin and that Jesus died as a savior. He was resurrected to prove that his death could pay for our sins but there's this too this had to be something that was with him a lot because it happened to him so much this is the reality of the fact that he was being attacked and, 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 and hurt I mean re- remember in, in Lystra in his first uh, uh, missionary journey he was stoned and left for dead right and then in, in, in this second missionary journey whether it was Thessalonica or Philippi, wherever it was, he was being run out of town. His life was being threatened and, and his, his friends, those who came to Jesus, they, they had to, to help him get out of town for safety. And here the Lord Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. But look what he says here. Do not be afraid. Do not keep silent. For I am with you. And he gives them a promise he said, no one's going to hurt you. Doesn't mean they're not going to attack you, but they're not going to hurt you. Right? He, says, he said, no one will attack you to hurt you. That won't be the result. They'll come against you. I'm going to protect you. I've got many people in this city, and you're going to stay as long as I will have you stay for those people to come to faith in me. It's basically what Jesus was telling him. For I am with you. The Lord awesome said those words to his followers. He says them to us too. We can read through the scriptures. We say that he said it to Jacob. He said it to Joshua. He says it to the people of God through the prophet Isaiah. He said it to Jeremiah. Here he says it to Paul. There are others. And he tells us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You guys realize that? Did you wake up this morning with that thought that the Lord will never leave me nor forsake me? He's with me now. He always will be. He'll never leave. I've always got him. He's always my protector. He's always my shield. I encourage you, if you wake up tomorrow morning and you're not thinking that, start thinking it. Oh, Monday morning. Oh, New Week. Oh, Ask the Holy Spirit today to remind you tomorrow morning when you start thinking that, to remind you that he's with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Knowing that means everything. It means everything. That's why we can endure, knowing that he's with us. That's why we can continue on, knowing that he's with us. But not, just not simply knowing, but because we do know, then we are actually um, depending on and relying upon the reality of his presence and the strength that he brings to us. And so we become strong even in our own weakness, right? I'm weak, but then I'm made strong. When I acknowledge my weakness, then I'm made strong in Christ, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Are we praying on a regular basis for people who come to mind? When somebody comes to your mind, and, and it's like you know, I mean, whatever. I mean, something might happen to remind you of that person, or maybe that person just kind of that person's face just pops into your head. And why is that? Well, let, let's just receive the reality that. That person's on, your mi- on our minds, and let's pray for them. Pray for them. It can be two or three in the morning, it can be noonday, it doesn't matter. Pray for them. You don't have to get down on your knees and pet pray for 15 minutes. You know, if, if a brother or sister comes to your mind, you say, Lord, be with that brother, be with that sister. I'm not sure why you brought that person to my mind. And believe me, as a, as a believer, if you want to do what God wants you to do, he's going to bring people in your mind to pray for. It. Just lift them up. You know what they need. I don't. Be with them, Lord. Help them. And then go on. It doesn't have, you know, that's all you have to do. I mean, And if you know some things, you can pray more if you're able to. But sometimes we might be on the job, we have to do the job, and we really can't take the time away from that job, but we can certainly take five seconds to say that, right? And that might remind us to do, the th- do it later when we're able to give more time to our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. A lot of quotes from 1 Thessalonians you know, even as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians as a result of this report that came back to him from from Timothy about how they were doing. You know, so he, he wrote these letters there from Corinth to the Thessalonians as we shared last week. God is with us guys. Let's never, ever forget this. And while it, while it was God's purpose for Tim, for for Paul to be used by the Lord to bring many to Christ, he's got purposes for you too to be a witness to people around you and perhaps uh, and other things, but primarily as a witness. And he's going to allow you to stay in that place in your life until your ministry is finished, whatever that may be. It could be a short time. It could be a long time. You know, I mean, we we, we just simply don't know. But he is with us. And then verse 11, And he continued there a year and six months, Teaching the word of God among them, teaching the word of God—not just simply bringing the gospel message, the good news of a risen Christ, uh, one who w- was was crucified and buried and then rose again, crucified for our sins, that we might receive the forgiveness of sin, that we might be redeemed from our sin. More than that, but teaching the whole counsel of God, teaching the word of God. Paul would write to Timothy in his very final letter that we know of. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 to 5 says this. Paul, in encouraging Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching And that is a word to Timothy as a young pastor. It's certainly a word to pastors today in every pulpit, but it's a word to all of us, really. It's a word to all of us. Let's stay in the Word of God. Give the truth of God's Word to others around us. Because reality is, there are people who will pile up people around them who will just simply tell them what they want to hear. They'll go to a church that will teach them what they want to hear. And to a great degree, what People want to hear is, I have these natural desires and I want to fulfill them. Can I do that and still go to heaven? Of course. Okay, I'm staying. Doesn't matter what the truth is. God help us. God help them. God help them who are teaching these false doctrines these lies from the pit of hell coming for the very purpose to bring destruction to those who hear them and believe them. You know, we we can easily in our flesh disdain those who are sinning in particular ways. Might our hearts be turned toward compassion for them because of the entrapment and deception that the enemy has brought. Believing lies that are only going to lead to their own destruction. Let's pray for them. And Father, we know that your truth that you bring to us through your word is the only hope. The only hope for those who are lost, those who are caught in sin, those who are entrapped in uh, um, in all the deception and the lies that they've been told so that they can For a season, for a season in this world, have a sense of feeling somewhat satisfied and fulfilled. Lord, we pray for them. We pray for those churches this morning that have so-called pastor teachers who are speaking from those pulpits, who are speaking these untruths. Lord, we know that you're going to deal with them, but we also also know that you love those people who are hearing. God, pour out your spirit and direct them. Bring them your truth. We're in a world that is so filled with this deception. We pray that you bring a sense of truth to those hearts. And use us as you would. There are people around us who are buying into these lies. Lord, might we be led by your truth. Might we be led by by, by your spirit, who is the spirit of truth. And Lord, might we do so meekly. Might we do so compassionately, with love. Not because we just want people to change their ways. Because we want to see people go to heaven. We want to see people experience eternal life. And so God, help us be with us. We thank you for your love for us as expressed through Jesus on that cross who is a demonstration of your love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so God, thank you for the gift of life through Jesus. We pray that you'd be honored and glorified. And we ask it all, Lord, in Jesus' precious and his holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, guys. Richard and Susan are going to lead us in one last song and then dismiss us. Thanks, guys, for coming out to to lead us in worship.